So friends, this is year B in our lectionary cycle, which isn't so terribly interesting, but what it really means is that throughout this cycle, this year, we are reading through this gospel, the gospel of Mark. And it is a little bit of a puzzle to me and maybe a little bit of a disappointment that we never listen to the gospel of Mark altogether in one piece. It is a book that uses the word immediately, immediately following this, just after he said these things. It is a book that is supposed to race along at a fast pace, a book that is very, very short, a book that if we were to read it out loud and all gather to listen to it together, as I understand some traditions do, it would only take two hours to make it through the whole gospel, just about as long as a feature film. If we did stage a reading of the Gospel of Mark, would you all spend two hours sitting here listening to it? Maybe it would depend on the reader. I want to encourage you to either read it to yourself all in one fell swoop, which I think if you read it to yourself, it would be well under two hours, or there are excellent readers who um, you can find who have read it, really dramatized it, online. You can listen to some excellent people read it all together so that you can really get the impact of the way it's constructed, just as I was describing to the children, that this is sort of like a mystery or a thriller. If you read it all together, if you were to suspend your belief, suspend your already existing knowledge of what's happening in the scripture, you might hear it in a new way and realize that this theme of trying to understand who Jesus is runs throughout, and you really might actually feel like that person with your hand raised, I've figured it out, and you won't have the chance to answer like I was telling the kids until the very end. So Mark is such a wonderful short book, the oldest gospel, and it is, I think, very underappreciated because of this fact that we don't hear it all together. Let's listen together for the word of God, according to the Gospel of Mark in the first chapter. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, he entered the synagogue and taught. They were astounded at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Just then there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsed him, and crying out with a loud voice came out of him. They were all amazed and kept on asking one another, What is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. At once, his fame began to spread throughout the surrounding region of Galilee. May God add a blessing to the reading and the hearing and the understanding of God's holy word. So in the Gospel of Mark, we're still in just the very first chapter. We have heard who Jesus is from John the Baptist. We have heard a voice from heaven during Jesus' baptism say, You are my son, the beloved. With you I am well pleased. And now we have seen him start to gather his disciples 
and a demon has recognized him and said, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. The first line of Mark's gospel is, the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. We know the answer right from the beginning, and all throughout the gospel, we see people entirely miss the point. We see people who just do not get it, and we get it. We, as the reader, know the truth from the very beginning. I think that what the Gospel of Mark is inviting us to do is to see ourselves as one of the characters in the story. It is our job to feel like we are right on the edge of our seats, like we are the ones who want to share the good news, like we are that Hermione Granger type, that student with our hand in the air, right on the edge of our seats, wanting to go and share the good news. It's so annoying, isn't it? so overeager and so uncool to be that person. But the Gospel of Mark is training us for this role, training us to get into the story. This demon story is so tempting to ignore, to just brush it aside and say, well, we don't believe in demons. We don't believe in demonic possession. There must have been something going on that people in the ancient world didn't have our science, our doctors, our modern language for. It must have been something that people didn't understand, and so they called it a demon. But I don't think we can just dismiss the story out of hand. I think that what this story is helping us to do is setting us up in this, this act of training us to understand how it is that we can want to answer that question so badly, to understand who Jesus is. This question, again, of who knows the truth and what they do with it is this running theme throughout the whole gospel. So this is a powerful place to start with what the demon understands about Jesus, that he tells the world that he's the Holy One of God. So I wanted to share with you a passage from this book that I love. If you have been falling down on your New Year's resolutions, if you haven't, congratulations. If you are falling down on them, this is a fantastic new book, Atomic Habits, by James Clear. In chapter 11, walk slowly but never backward, he tells this story. On the first day of class, Jerry Ulsman, a professor at the University of Florida, divided his film photography students into two groups. We can imagine this pretty well here. Everyone on the left side of the classroom, he explained, would be in the quantity group. They would be graded solely on the amount of work they produced. On the final day of class, he would tally the number of photos submitted by each student. 100 photos would earn an A, 90 photos a B, 80 photos a C, and so on. Meanwhile, everyone on the right side of the room would be in the quality group. They would be graded on the excellence of their work. They would only need to produce one photo during the semester. But to get an A, it had to be a nearly perfect image. At the end of the term, he was surprised to find that all of the best photos were produced by the quantity group. During the semester, these students were busy taking photos, experimenting with composition and lighting, testing out various methods in the darkroom, and learning from their mistakes. In the process of creating hundreds of photos, they honed their skills, 
Meanwhile, the quality group sat around speculating about perfection. In the end, they had little to show for their efforts other than unverified theories and one mediocre photo. What if the gospel, according to Mark, with all of its little stories, is beginning to train us for the work of recognizing Jesus, of naming who he is and answering the question? And because there are so many moments when this happens, we get good at this practice. Practice over perfection, quantity over quality. Don't sit around trying to wait for the perfect spiritual moment when Jesus is going to show up in your life and you will suddenly get it. What if as faithful Christians we go around our day-to-day existence looking for Jesus everywhere, trying to recognize him in everything, trying to get really good at spotting him, trying to see where he's at work in the world so that we can also engage our efforts in that direction? Quantity. What if we just focus on quantity, ignore perfection, just make this a daily habit? A writer earlier than this, Malcolm Gladwell, came up with the 10,000 hours rule. Have you heard of this? This is practice. He would say, it's okay if you got it wrong, you learn from your mistakes, you're just practicing. That takes all of the pressure out of it. That allows us, it frees us up to be faithful people just on the search, on the hunt for where Jesus is. So the Gospel of Mark is our personal trainer or our choir director, our photography teacher, guiding us into this practice, this daily faithful practice of trying to spot Jesus. We are each witnessing to these moments through the repetition, and by doing it again and again, we develop skills. We're training our eye to notice him. To go off on a slight tangent, there's an expression in the Greek which the English versions translate what you have heard. What have you to do with me, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you hear that? That's the way people usually translate what the demon first says to Jesus. What do you have to do with me? But the Greek is an idiom that's really hard to translate. It's just four little words, and it's really what's for you, What's for me? What's to you? What's to me? It's trying to delineate. I'm the demon. I've got evil under control. I've got this person on lockdown. I have my sphere, but you stay in your lane. You have a sphere over there. Don't you cross over into my territory, and everything will be fine. So, okay, Jesus, you're over there. I'm over here. You have nothing to do with me. Does Jesus leave it at that? There is no boundary that Jesus will not cross to set us free. So here's a hint as you go around looking for Jesus in the world. He's going to be everywhere and in everything. Richard Rohr says, what if Christ is another name for the immense spaciousness of all true love? And what if Christ is another name for everything in its fullness? We can't ignore the demon story just because it doesn't fit with the way we think about the world today, and we also shouldn't ignore any aspect of our daily lives, anything in the world. There's no delineation that Jesus will accept if you say, Jesus, stay over there, stay in your lane. We can't put Jesus in a box in this building, 
and say this is where faith resides. No, Jesus is in everything and everyone, and that will help us in our training to learn to see him. So this reminds me of something I frequently see right in my own backyard. You've heard me talk about my crazy little dog, Winnie. We love that little dog a whole lot. And we have an unusual backyard. It drops down from an upper part where our house is. It drops down. We go down a stone staircase. There's a stone retaining wall down into a deep lower part to our backyard. And there's woods and wetlands on one side and woods and wetlands on the other side. And our little dog is enclosed in an electric fence throughout the whole entirety of the backyard. And as you might imagine, there are beautiful, majestic deer who like to cross back and forth from one part of the woods to the other. Since we moved in seven years ago, two of our backyard-abutting neighbors have put up fences around their backyards, which means the deer have to cross through our backyard to get from one side to the other. And you can just imagine how this little dog is absolutely beside herself whenever somebody would cross onto her territory. And yes, she's the demon in the story. So there is this majestic stag that somehow has figured out she can't get him. He will stand right on the other side of the electric fence, head held high, this incredible crown of antlers, and stare her down. She can't guard the yard all day long. Eventually, she's back inside the house, and she watches from an upper window as the stag, you know, majestically crosses right through the backyard to go where it wants to go. And yes, the stag is Jesus. There is nowhere... Jesus will stay boxed in. There is no territory that anyone can claim that Jesus does not belong. Practice, friends. Practice this habit, even when things look bleak, even within your own soul, even if there is a place locked away that you think Jesus can never touch this. Jesus does not listen to that voice saying, stay in your lane, what's yours and what's mine. Jesus came to set us free from everything that would hold us back. Jesus' love knows no bounds. And the invitation as faithful people is to go around like detectives, like photographers, like people collecting these snippets of good news so that we can then become the good news and share it with one another. We don't keep these things to ourselves either locked up. Like the end of the Gospel of Mark invites us to be the ones who go and tell There is freedom, and there is love, and there is liberation to be found. Praise be to God.